0: What's going on, Sons and Daughters? Grayson Wimbish here from the Sons of Saturday. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, welcome in. If you're a uh, long-time listener, welcome back. Uh, got a very, very exciting episode for y'all today. First off, I want to thank Zach Mackey uh, for rejoining us. Uh, unfortunately, with was Zach's episode, we we originally had him on about a month ago, but Due to some unfortunate technical difficulties, we had to re-record his episode, which we are very, very appreciative of his time. Uh, If if y'all don't know who Zach Mackey is, Zach is going to be the voice of the men's basketball team. Uh, He's also going to be stepping in as a sideline reporter in direct uh, coalition with Bill Roth and Mike Burnup for Virginia Tech football games, and he's also going to be doing a lot of the player and coaches interviews post-game, especially for football. Uh, so we're excited for y'all to get to know him. We're excited to have Zach in Blacksburg. Also on this episode, I was jo- joined by music duo, country music duo Crawford and & Power. And if y'all don't know who Crawford & Power are, Hokie Nation, I'm, I'm very excited for y'all to have the opportunity to get acquainted with them. Ethan Power and Jake Crawford. Both Southwest Virginia boys. Ethan Powers, actually a graduate of Virginia Tech. Jake Crawford uh, went to community college in Southwest Virginia, but but grew up going to Virginia Tech football games, knows the culture, loves Blacksburg. And these guys are killing it right now. Opening for the likes of Travis Tritt, Luke Combs. I'll let them tell you all about it. Uh, But here are the Sons of Saturday. Just want to remind everybody that we are brought to you by our friends down at the Main Street Pharmacy. You already know the drill. Go see him. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his awesome staff will greet you with a smile. You are a neighbor, not a number down there. They they got it all. Miss Pac-Man, if you're a little bit bored between those study hours, all the Suns of Saturday pins, they will fill any prescription that you might need to have filled. So sit back and relax, y'all. We got a doubleheader. Zach's up first. Crawford and Power on the back nine. Let's go. Enjoy. Sons and daughters, timestamp is 4:32 p.m. PST. That's 7:32 p.m. EST. We got Zach Mackey on back on the podcast. So listen, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. This is totally on our end. Uh we 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 recorded an episode with Zach. It went great. And for whatever reason, the file was nowhere to be found. Uh, for, by the way, Zach, for which we sincerely apologize. And now we're, we're running it back for round two because we, we were like, we need to get this one out. We need to introduce Zach to, to Hokie nation. And, uh, we had such a fun time the first time around, we had to do it a second time, but I'm going to do a little, uh, bio about Zach here. Mackie joins Hokie nation after a three-year stint in Bozeman, Montana, where he was the radio talent for the Montana state football and men's basketball programs. While with the Bobcats, Mackey hosted a weekly podcast with guests from the Bobcats athletic department and hosted coaches' shows for both football and men's basketball on television and radio platforms. This past season, Mackey got extensive postseason experience as the football program reached the FCS championship game. And on the hardwood, the Bobcats won the Big Sky Tournament and participated in the NCAA Tournament for the first time since 1986. A University of Iowa graduate, Mackey has also been the voice of the Hawkeye baseball program since 2015. He has also had the opportunity to host pre and post game shows for the Iowa football team and fill in and call games for the Hawkeyes basketball programs as well. Mackey also has spent time calling games for the Big Ten Network. Zach, welcome back to the Sons of Saturday, man. Thank you for doing it again. We're happy to have you, man.
1: Yeah, thanks, Grayson. No, I'm I'm happy to be on here. Happy to be uh, at Virginia Tech. And uh, I appreciate, I know that, uh, like you said, we had some of those difficulties the first time. So uh, happy, uh, whatever we got to do to get another one going here.
0: Absolutely. And we do appreciate it. So what we'll do, we always do this. We're going to take it back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? Uh, and how did that environment help develop your love for broadcasting?
1: Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a town called Geneseo, Illinois. It's uh, right on the Iowa-Illinois border on the Illinois side, part of the uh, Quad Cities there. And uh, it was, um, you know, a, a small town. Like I said, we had a high school uh, radio station, and uh, my dad is a high school athletic director and a high school principal. And so I got involved um, right away, you know, playing when I was young, you know, football and baseball. And um, then whenever I got up to the high school level, I kind of right away wanted to, to get an opportunity when I was younger, I got an opportunity to be a PA announcer and loved that. And then got an opportunity to be able to do a little play by place and really enjoyed continue to do it as much as I could. And it was kind of right, right during my junior and senior years, kind of when uh, streaming stuff started up for high school sports and that, and, and being able to kind of expand upon that a little bit more. So we did that. And, uh, I got heavily involved in that, and you know, trying to do that, especially during basketball season, uh, was was kind of the area when when I had my time off, and I would, uh, you know, try to wrangle as many as my friends do these games and do play. When I kind of found out that people do this for careers, and you know, they can they can do this for their job, I was something that I wanted to pursue and, and wanted to be able to do. So that's kind of what originally started it, and kind of really wanted me made me want to, uh, pursue broadcasting.
0: Was there a particular moment that, that made you decide that?
1: Well, in, you know, in high school, I, I liked doing, um, doing those events whenever people couldn't come and that it was more just kind of fun being around. I, I, like I said, had a lot of my friends doing it Matt, and that, then I, I got opportunities, um, you know, I, I was always emailing different people in the profession and that, and trying to get them to look over my stuff and come up to the booth with them and that. And I know um, whenever I was a, a junior in high school, I emailed um, Dan Shulman, who who does the, he did the number one game um, on ESPN with Dick Vitale on the basketball side, and then he did Sunday Night Baseball with John Crock and Oral Hersheiser and that, and Uh, He was like, Hey, we're doing a a White Sox game in a couple of weeks. Why don't you come up to the booth and kind of see how we do it? And uh, I got to go up there and kind of see how they they were doing a White Sox Angels game at the time for Sunday Night Baseball. And, uh, you know, got to be around those guys and kind of see how it went. And that was a really cool experience for me. And that definitely, you know, kind of hooked me in and said, Okay, this is something that I want to try to pursue if I can. And uh, it was a great moment luckily there's been a lot of great people who have been really kind to me and given me opportunities of uh being able to see how they do it in the professional ranks and that but that was that was one of those moments that you know really hooked me in
0: so how did your time at the university of iowa help prepare you for your career
1: well, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you graduate high school and obviously nowadays and, and back then, too, when you're looking to where you're going to go next, you got to make that decision earlier and earlier. And, you know, I, I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to get experience and get reps uh, as soon as possible. And I know that, you know, you hear it from so many people in the broadcasting and people who want to go into the broadcasting, that the number one of the most important thing is to get out there and do it, do it as many times as possible. And uh, there's obviously some some great programs in the country, like Syracuse, who's turned out some of the top talent, Mizzou. And, and nowadays, it wasn't, you know, since Bill's coming and, and got enrolling at Virginia Tech, I mean, nowadays when students are graduating, Virginia Tech is one of the top broadcasting schools in the country, there's no question. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying to weigh out those options. I didn't want to go too far away from, from home either. And Iowa gave me an opportunity to – be able to get on air right away. It didn't have as much of an established broadcasting uh, classes in that so that there weren't a ton of people competing. I, I could go right away and get opportunities on air. And it still provided a, a Big Ten campus, you know, a Power Five conference and that it had big games, uh, whether it be in women's basketball, volleyball, different things like that. I knew where I was going to have to cut my teeth and Uh, You know, so Iowa really played into that is is just giving me an opportunity of getting on the air right away and creating those opportunities.
0: And so during your three-year stint in Bozeman, Montana, what did you learn? How did you get better as a broadcaster?
1: Yes, I'll tell you what. It's one of those things, Grayson. when I graduated uh, from Iowa, I was, you know, Kind of getting ready, looking in the job market, and, and saying, "Okay, where am I going to go? What am I going to do?" Uh, there's not a ton of broadcasting jobs out there, especially uh, at the college level. And I, I really liked the idea of being, you know, around a college with alumni base and the band, and you know, the fans, and and just the, you know, all the different sports that you have. And uh, Montana State came up. I went ahead and applied for it, and went out there for an interview. and I had never been to the state of Montana. I, you know, I think I learned a lot, not just on the broadcasting side, but about, you know, moving, moving halfway across the country to an area where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a soul out there, or anyone by me and, you know, kind of starting, starting fresh like that. And, uh, then, you know, just kind of putting myself right into to the campus. I, I didn't know anybody, uh, and I didn't know any history of Montana state going into it, but yet, you know, three years later, I, I felt like I had a pretty good handle. I could tell you who was on, you know, the 82 national championship team and, and all those different things that run into it. But uh, it was something that taught me too about working at an athletic department. You know, it's, it's always so relationship based in that and trying to form those relationships with coaches so that they trust you and uh, give you the ability to be around those programs and those teams. You know, that, that's one of the more important relationships that you have and uh, getting the trust of the players and just traveling around with a, a division one program. And, you know, being a guy that in the coaches shows and the TV shows that is, um, you know, we would do those out of the community and that, and, and knowing the alumni and, and knowing the donors and, and different things like that, there was just so much of that. I felt like I learned in those three years and I really went from, you know, I was kind of, I didn't know how it was going to turn out going into it to a place that, uh, was a lot harder to leave than what i ever thought it was going to be
0: so who were and currently are some of the biggest influences in your broadcasting career uh and it, and it transcends your broadcasting career honestly what what wisdom have these people imparted to you
1: yeah you know i um i i think right off the bat uh, growing up in the midwest you know being a fan of of Iowa and that Gary Dolphin somebody that I, I've listened to a lot he's the voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes for you know the last last 25 years now and um you know he's been someone that's been really generous to me whenever you know I've gotten opportunities to fill in for him and, and to work with him on a football broadcast and then uh someone like um Pat Hughes the voice of the Chicago Cubs uh has just got such a smooth delivery that's somebody that I listen to a lot, you know, really enjoy his calls and the way that he sounds and and different things like that, you know, and, and another element that, um, you know, whenever I was at, at Iowa, I was doing the broadcasting stuff, but I also got involved in, in the football department, in the recruiting area. I I did that for, uh, four years, three of those, you know, while I was in undergrad. And then I, I graduated there at the end and spent another six months in there and saw the the hard work and the determination that those coaches and those people put in to keep that program, uh, running like that. And someone like, um, you know, coach parents who is, is the most tenured head coach in college football and was, um, you know, just such a, uh, uh a guy who, you know, could walk into a room and, and commend a room, but yet didn't have to do it with anger and yelling and had so much respect for the people that worked for him. And, uh, you know, they, the way that they, um, you know, put him in a, in a spot that he was, um, you know, he was in a spot where he was just revered in that as somebody who has done so much but yet didn't have to come around and, and tell you how important this was or how important that was. He, uh, you know, would dip in here or there and different things. So just kind of the way you treat people and the way that uh, you, you know, want to run a, uh, in his case, a college football program and just the way you want to run your life or, given things like that, I think is, is very admirable from that.
0: And what did you know about Virginia Tech prior to accepting your position in Blacksburg? What was your kind of zoomed out broad perception of the university of the athletic department? uh, And are you nervous going into Blacksburg this fall?
1: You know, the, the funny thing is, is now I've really seen the case that, I kind of had a lot of the perception of a lot of the people uh, that I, that I know around here, around the Midwest. And that is, there's kind of three things that, that come to mind right away. Whenever I first thought of Virginia Tech, And it was obviously coach Frank Beamer and the historic run that, that he had at Virginia Tech and, you know, continues to, to play. Um, also, uh, you know, Mike Vick and what he was able to do in his college career and just the ability, uh, uh, such a, playmaker in that, and that and then enter Sandman of that. That's one of the most iconic uh, you know, entrances in all of college football. And everyone uh, has been telling me I gotta be, I gotta get out there and, and see a game for Enter Sandman of that. I'm I'm fired up to be able to see that uh, this coming this coming fall too. You know the the one thing about college athletics that you know I really like is that it's got the rich history, it's got the donors, it's got the alumni that have been there forever, have seen it all. And one of the challenges of coming in in positions like this is that I, I, you know, haven't been a Virginia Tech fan for my entire life. Like a lot of these people and fans have growing up in Blacksburg in the surrounding area. And, um, you know, so that's kind of a challenge of making sure that you're up on the history, you know, exactly uh, what's expected of um, you know, Virginia Tech and, and the great history they've had on obviously the football field and then on the basketball court last year winning the ACC, that was obviously another point here recently that made it a real enticing spot and exciting, you know, watching that team go into the ACC tournament and win it was was pretty incredible. But, you know, these, these colleges and universities, everywhere has their own little nuances, their own little changes. So I think trying to learn those and making sure that you don't uh, – you know, uh, offend any former or former fans or you know former players or something like that with something that you say or something like that is always you know on on the back of your mind, especially when you're first coming into a new job and and doing it you know in a public space like on the radio or at one of the coaches' shows or something like that. So that will always make me be mindful, especially in the beginning. But uh, you know, I luckily have have a great guy in in Bill Roth to help me out too. A, a guy who's obviously knows it all when it comes to Virginia Tech and has been an integral part over the last 30 years now and uh, so that's been a real a real sounding board and a real help too.
0: So if I understand correctly speaking of Bill Roth uh, you will act as a sideline reporter for Virginia Tech football games this fall just kind of break it down for us how is that going to be structured will that be in conjunction with Bill Roth and Mike Burnham in the booth what what is that going to kind of look like?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm going to do pregame, postgame, and sidelines for football uh, this coming season. So me and uh, Mike Burnup are going to do the first hour of the pregame show at home. We're going to do those um, outside, out of the community. We're still finalizing exactly where that's going to be done at, and then um, on the road we'll do those from the booth. And then the next half hour is going to be Bill and Mike up at the booth, and I'm going to throw on the gear and head down over the sidelines and then do the sideline during the game and then get back up over to the booth to do the post game that uh you know the sideline element i'm excited for it that was the one thing i know at at montana state that i always kind of missed is you never really you know we we go on the air obviously you know an hour and a half before kickoff we're on the air an hour after kickoff you don't always get the sense down when you're the you know, the play-by-play guy for football, they sense down on the field what it's like, you know, hear the players, hear the coaches, feel the fans down there. So I'm really excited about getting the opportunity to be in down on the sidelines and, you know, getting in the trenches and, and hear who's saying what and all of that. So um, that that's going to be a really enticing uh, spot for me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to that. I know we are going to try to make it more of, you know, a reporting role of of trying to find out the details and and try to give kind of a sense of maybe what other people aren't able to because we have those relationships with the players and the coaches and also, uh, you know, television, they they don't always have time to give you everything like that. So it's going to be much more informative, I think, down on the sidelines of exactly what's happening, who's saying what, who's out, who's in. We'll have that relationship with the trainers and that and hopefully be able to give a you know, a bit of a sense and a little bit more depth than what anyone else is going to be able to give when it comes to Virginia Tech.
0: So you will also step into the role as the voice of the ACC champion Virginia Tech men's basketball team. Have you had the chance to meet with Coach Young at all, uh, the staff, any of the current players? Uh, I imagine that you have, but I'm I'm, I'm just curious, like, like what are your first impressions uh, and what are you looking forward to the most about this basketball
1: season? Yeah, Coach. Uh, some of Coach Young's staff was on the uh, the interview process, so that was kind of my first time with some of them. And then uh, whenever I came to campus for another round, uh, I get to sit down and meet with Coach Young. And that that was that was real nice to be able to sit down and, and meet with him. I I told him, and like I you know I've told anyone wherever I'm at, it's really nice and it's cool whenever you're the radio guy in that, and you're with a coach who wants to meet and talk with the potential new radio person, and, you know, they want to make it a sense of it's important to them, and, uh, you know, he echoed to me that, you know, this is a reflection of their program and that and whatever goes out there, and, you know, that's cool that he cares about it. He wants to make sure that it's right, and, uh, you know, we're going to make it right for for sure. So I, I got to sit down and talk to him. We talked a little bit about uh, fishing too. Uh, Bozeman's got some real good fly fishing. He was into that. I think he's been out to Montana a couple of times for a little bit of fishing and that. So we talked about that a couple of times and, um, then got to just meet with his staff a little bit. Uh, we talked and, and met while we were waiting uh, for him and they all seem, they all seem great. Obviously it's a, uh, it's a different situation when you're coming into a, uh, A program that's coming off a championship run like they had and you know how good that they were last year and the success that they had is just so exciting to come into a spot that's so established and you know in the basketball world and, and having so many people coming back and that I mean I'm just I hear from everybody how how excited they are with not only what basketball did last year but what the future looks like for this coming season of that and I can't wait for that. I know today we were filling out some stuff and trying to figure. It's going to be it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun though in November and December trying to figure out. Uh, hopefully with a bowl game and and with basketball and with football in that and basketball traveling back and forth. But it's uh, it's going to be really fun to be around those guys and uh, that team.
0: So you were actually just with the football team down in Charlotte for the ACC kickoff uh, the whole ordeal that they were doing down there. They do that every single year. Uh, how was that? What was that experience like? I saw you in the pictures with Coach and Dax, and Caleb, and Silas, and uh, I think Jordan Long was down there too. How, how was that whole uh, that whole two days?
1: That was good. You know, that was a lot of fun uh, to be able to get down there. I had never been to ACC Media Day, so uh, to kind of see how it all comes about and, you know, kind of the busyness of it uh, all around. I tell you, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time uh, – Someone came up to, to me and Mike Burnup and asked Mike Burnup how, how he got so tan. He's he's in rare form right now, all tanned up, going down to Florida a couple of times in that. But I mean, what a good resource to have, too. He's been, uh, you know, he everywhere we go, everyone knows Mike Burnup there in the ACC. So he was introducing me to everybody and, and showing me around. And so that was nice. And yeah, to get to see a lot of those guys from the creative side there for, for Virginia Tech that do such a good job. And to hear kind of what um, not only obviously there's a lot of talk about conference realignment, where college football stands overall and, you know, to kind of get some of the other coaches opinions on that, what they think about it it, is always interesting. We always don't always get a sense of what's happening on the other conferences. And then obviously with the commissioner, um, Uh, you know, talking about that too, Jim Phillips, about, you know, where the ACC stands and the whole mix of all that. But it was a cool day. It's, uh, you know, a a nice event, throw everybody in together, throw them into the fire. And uh, it's, uh, I I can tell you this too, Coach Pride, by far had the most entertaining press conference out of anybody else. Sometimes those can get a little dull and dry and everyone's kind of buttoned up. They don't want to say anything uh, too much, but he was, It was very entertaining, and uh, I think everyone there felt kind of the sense of, uh, you know, the sense of life and just, you know, the excitement that he's got for that program and that and where it's at. You could see a lot of people are are excited about where Virginia Tech football is going.
0: And then the last question I got for you, Zach, before we get into the rapid fire, Uh, what kind of plans are there to get you involved with the Virginia tech sports media and analytics department, if any?
1: Yeah, I hope, uh, I hope more and more. I know that's something me and Bill have talked about. Uh, You know, he does such a good job running that program and that, and I mean, it has turned into before I, you know, being in the broadcasting sense when I saw Virginia tech, I immediately thought, you know, broadcasting school. Anyone who's in the broadcasting field now, that's what comes to mind. I mean, they obviously I, I've got to talk a lot with um Evan Hughes too. And I mean, Evan won the the biggest award you can get as a college broadcaster in our industry. And it was it was pretty crazy two years ago that, you know, what what he was able to do is really impressive. Uh so I know whenever I got to meet Evan, it was, you know, cool to get to see where that program's been in such a short amount of time. But um, my, like I said, my dad's a high school principal, so I, I've been around you know, teaching and learning and, and different things like that. So however, I can help anybody out. I've told Bill I, I want to make myself as available as possible in that. And so I'm excited to, to get to see a lot of those young people too who, who want to get into the broadcasting and want to you know continue to pursue careers because it is a, a fun career to get into.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough great things about uh, Bill Roth and Evan Hughes and anyone who has any piece of uh, of the puzzle in what is and what has become the Virginia Tech Sports Media and Analytics Department. Uh, Jared Woolley, Dr. Robinson, uh, everyone who was there when I was there. I mean, just can't say enough good things. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you to get involved. Uh, Not just there, but just all things Virginia Tech, man, you're going to you're going to absolutely love it. But you already know how this one works. Rapid fire lightning round. We're going to do this. Uh, Number one, first question, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, favorite restaurant in Blacksburg that you've tried.
1: Favorite restaurant that I've tried. Okay, so I, I've been there just a couple of days with my interview on that, and I, I'm excited to move there in about yeah three, three or four days here from now. But uh, so far, I would say um, uh, I'm blanking on the name now. It's the Taco Place, uh, Grayson. That uh, it it's got like kind of some seafood tacos in that. You know what I'm talking Ca- about?
0: Cabo Fish Taco.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. That was a we went there <sighs> and that was a very good. Very good spot.
0: Yeah, not uh, sorry. <laughs> favorite leisure act. Favorite leisure activity.
1: Yeah, I said this last time. I, I think that um, you know, mine this summer. I, I'm on the lake as much as possible, so I would say boating. I love being out of the boat. I got a uh, during COVID, jumped on a sea um, ray boat or whatever, and uh, I'm out on it all the time with friends and that. And that's one of my favorite things to do: be out on the water.
0: Sons of Spotify, what's playing in the headphones? What kind of music do you listen to?
1: I'm I'm very, uh, I, I'm not, my musical taste, I think people would say is lacking a little bit. I'm whatever's on, on the top 40 on the radio, pop side, or otherwise I'm mainly uh, country music and that, the, the Midwest. I mean, the, whatever's hot on country music right now is usually what I'm listening to.
0: Do you have a song that you're listening to right now a lot?
1: Uh let's see right now. Anything Chris Stapleton, Tennessee with any of that stuff. I saw him saw him in concert a couple of weeks ago and he's as good in concert as he is on the radio, which I think is quite rare.
0: Stamp that. He's one of the best in the game right now. Absolutely. Could not agree more. A movie that has influenced your life.
1: <laughs> uh I would say Remember the Titans.
0: Remember the Titans, uh, phenomenal film. Shout out T.C. Williams High School in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. That's uh, that's a Virginia story. Uh, that's speaking, right. Yeah. The more you know. Which football game huh. on on our schedule are you most excited for?
1: You know, the one that pops out to me right away is uh, the West Virginia game, a night game on a Thursday night. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's going to be, you know, sold out. It's going to be crazy. I'm, I'm really excited about, about that one this year. Uh,
0: just stay on our side of the, uh, stay on our side of Worsham field. That's all I got to say. You go over there. I'm fine. You, get, you don't want those kind of problems. Um,
1: just look the out for yourself. And Bill, I know <laughs> we're talking the other day, some of those horse stories and that that's, uh, what makes college football fun, but that, uh, it's a little bit of craziness.
0: Oh, it's, it's above crazy. That that rivalry, it's, there have been enough years now to where it's died out a little bit, but, uh, we still don't like them and they still do not like us. Um, so <laughs> just get ready for that one. Pre-game routine, any superstitious traditions?
1: Yeah. You know, the only thing I, I'm not real superstitious. The only thing I usually have is, I'll have loud music going whenever I'm going to the stadium or whatever. And that day, I like to to have the music real loud. That's more like not country music. That's more like the m m type of stuff like that. And just kind of, I don't know, a little bit more uh, get you ready, whatever in that. But nothing too crazy.
0: Which game are you looking forward to most on the hardwood in Castle Coliseum?
1: Well, uh, obviously, just seeing a game inside Castle, I think, is going to be really cool. Seeing some of those historic programs, uh, you know, that obviously have uh, ACC ties in in North Carolina, Duke, or any of those running through. But I'll say um, one of the ones that really excites me, too, is up in uh, New York for the non-conference. when We're going up there with uh, Oklahoma State and that. I just think, you know, going to a neutral site like that with uh, two Power Five programs uh, as soon as that came out. I, I'm excited for that one.
0: And last but not least, we will move into the letters from the Lunch Pail. These are listener-submitted questions. Uh, the first letter from the Lunch Pail comes from our very own Billy Ray Mitchell. He says, or asks, Big Mac, question I've always wondered. This is a three-prong question here. What are play-by-play folks doing during commercial breaks? That's number one.
1: Okay, my... Uh... My sense during uh, during those is I'm trying to typically not say much. Maybe, uh, you know, if I have to, run to the bathroom as quickly as possible if you have enough time like that. But otherwise, uh, uh, you know, you're talking so much. When I get down with one of those, especially when you get down with the broadcast, I'm like, I just want to sit here in silence and not hear myself talk anything like that. But typically during those three minutes, it's it first off goes by as quick as can be and second off, I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to stay as quiet as possible so that uh, I don't have to hear myself talk for another three more minutes.
0: Well, you've answered the uh, second part of his question, which is what does one do if they need a quick trip to the bathroom? And it sounds like there's rarely <laughs> enough time for that.
1: Um,
0: the last part you know, of this,
1: go ahead, go ahead. I know when we were at the, uh, Grayson, we were at the um, FCS National Championship game and for, for some reason, I don't know why they have one men's bathroom and they have one female bathroom there and you know everyone at halftime one of my pet peeves are the people who have live broadcasts whatever you know and and yet some of the reporters and different people go to the bathroom at halftime too so then the people who have live broadcasts are trying to run in between breaks something like that but uh one of the sports reporters walks in it was a a female sports reporter, and she said this is one of the good few times it is to be a female working in sports because you don't have the line going to the bathroom at halftime like that
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Who is the best crew in sports and why is it Gary Keith and Ron? Oh, brother? Who is the best crew in sports and why is it Gary Keith and Ron on at SNY TV for the Mets broadcast?
1: Oh, he's a Mets fan, huh? Yeah, okay. a, what a uh,
0: Sad existence.
1: They're rare out there yeah. uh, nowadays. No, I, uh, you know, I, I don't mind those guys. I think those guys, you know, do a fine job. They've got a big media market in New York like that. I personally um, am a big fan of of Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer, the of uh, the Chicago Cubs. Those are kind of my top guys. But, uh, yeah, they, they do a fine job over there.
0: Second letter from the Lunch Pail comes from Diablo fan account. Biggest piece of advice for an aspiring sports broadcaster?
1: I think the biggest thing is is just getting reps and I know people, you know, say that if you can whatever way, if you're taking a tape recorder to a game and you're trying to get reps, if you're, you know, putting yourself in an opportunity as a as a uh, freshman in college to get reps. If you're doing, you know, a a Friday night game, a soccer match while everyone else is out having fun or something like that, whatever you got to do to get yourself reps. But my two things too, is always, you know, in the end, if you're good to people and if you're good at what you do, uh, you don't have to be the best there ever was or anything like that, but you're good to people and good at what you do. You, it ends up working itself out. And I know I, stress myself out at night, especially at the end of college and, you know, just wondering when, what step was I going to make? then what's that next step? And what's that? I try to now, you know, do as much as I can to live in the moment more. So be happy where you're at. And, uh, you know, some people in the broadcasting get where they're always looking, okay, what's next, what's next. And how am I going to get there? What am I going to do to get there? And I just think a big part of it is getting reps, enjoying where you're at and along the way being good to people.
0: Absolutely couldn't agree more. Uh the last letter from the lunch pail that we have here is from yours truly. Uh your message to Hokey Nation. What are we getting in Zag Mackey?
1: Yeah, I think that you know you're getting someone who's going to be very passionate about Virginia Tech and put Virginia Tech in the best light possible. And uh you know someone who is approachable, someone who Uh, cares about the wins and the losses and wants to see Virginia tech do as well as possible. And someone who hopefully does the best job possible of describing what is happening out of the field on the court. uh, However that may be, but you know, someone who, like I said, is going to, uh, to give my all to make sure that we get it right. And that uh, we make sure that uh, hopefully we have a lot of fun with a whole bunch of Virginia tech wins in between.
0: (laughs) Would love that. I I think uh, all of Hokie Nation shares that sentiment. Uh, Zach, this was a blast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Can't wait to see all that you do uh, with your time in Blacksburg. Hope you're here a long, long, long time. And I can't wait to meet you in person. I'm sure Pat and Billy Ray and the rest of the Sons of Saturday team share that share that notion as well. Uh, so right now our plan is to – I know Pat, Bill, and I will all three be at the Boston College game. So that is the plan as of this present moment. So we'll have to get together then. Uh, and then last, uh, lastly, we always do this too, Sharky Shoutouts. This is your time. How can we follow you on social media? Shout out whoever you like. This is your time, man.
1: Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Zach, Z-A-C-H underscore W underscore Mackey uh is my Twitter. And uh, you know, my my shout outs are gonna go to uh Mike Burnham for helping me. He showed me all around of the ACC media days. He's been great in this transition getting there. Uh Bill Roth has been, you know, phenomenal as well. He's obviously uh uh someone who's got such a rich history here. So kind of helped me along there and then Evan Hughes as well. It's really helped out uh uh, you know, making sure that we're going in the right direction and that everything's uh, working right. So I'll give a shout-out to my three other broadcast partners there, Mike, Evan, and Bill.
0: Phenomenal. Well, if that's all you got, that's all I got, Zach. We'll absolutely chat soon, and uh, I think all we can say is just go Hokies. Welcome to Blacksburg, man. Hey,
1: right, Thanks so much. I'm so excited, and uh, thanks for having me on. Go Hokies.
0: All right, everybody, back with another one for y'all. We got a very special interview today. I am joined by Jay Crawford and Ethan Power of Crawford and Power, who are a musical duo based out of Southwest Virginia, a country music duo. And, guys, what we do is we go to uh, anyone we have on. We like to get the proper bio. So I just went to y'all's website. So hopefully this is correct. Um It says, and I quote, Virginia natives Crawford and Power are making waves within the country music scene with their unique sound. Authentically Southern, Jake Crawford's powerful vocal blended with a modern approach to the dobro from Ethan Power, create a brand of country that has been lauded as a breath of fresh air to the genre. I could not agree more. The duo have already opened for a variety of artists, including the Marshall Tucker Band, Willie Nelson, Travis Tritt, the Charlie Daniels Band, Cody Johnson, Luke Combs, 38 Special, Gary Allen, and Jerry Douglas, among many other major acts. With the help of their debut EP, Play a Hank Jr. Song, the duo quickly eclipsed over 3 million on-demand streams. Crawford and followed up their debut release with two singles in 2019. She liked to get high in Dancing Alone and began 2020 by releasing Letting You Go. The duo released What I've Been Missing on August twentieth, 2021, followed by fan favorites Moonshine, Country Boys Like Me, and I'd Like a Shot in early 2022. Crawford and Power are spending time in the studio with producer Grady Saxman and just released the first single off their new EP, Heart Attack, on July 1st, so a month ago. Fellas, welcome to The Suns of Saturday. Happy to have you. I appreciate you guys doing this. Thanks for
2: having us, man. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Absolutely.
0: So we'll get right into it. Uh, I have to give a shout out to Boston Burke, the LA boy, also a hokey. Uh, he put me to y'all's music, um, so shout out to him. That's the reason we're doing this. That's the reason I know about you guys, and and I wanna I wanna make sure more people know about you guys because y'all's music is is kick ass and very uh, very true to Southwest Virginia. Um, so with that in mind, tell me the origins from y'all's perspective. What towns are you both from? Uh, Where did you go to school, if at all, and when did you two originally meet one another?
2: Well, so this is kind of a, a cool story. So we both grew up in Franklin County, Virginia. We went to Franklin County High School, and we never met. Ethan was a year behind me. I'm class of 2012. He was 2013. So we never met in high school, but we graduated, and I had went to a community college, Virginia Western. And Ethan was attending that college and a bunch of my buddies had talked me into like going to the community college with them. So I kind of enrolled for that reason. And we were in a public speaking class. Uh, We met in that class and a mutual buddy introduced us. I actually failed the public speaking class and Ethan passed it and went on to go to Virginia Tech and and get his degree from there. Um, And I used all my buddies that went there uh, for my way to come up to tech and party and go to all the football games and all that, so fantastic,
3: Ethan. What about you, man? Um, pretty much the exact same story. Um, we met there, and we really just started gigging. Yeah, right after that. Um, even through when I went to tech, um, you know, he would come up during the weeks, and we would we would play and write and do covers and stuff and post them and uh, that was kind of where the duo started. Got it.
0: So when did y'all, when did y'all both find out that you were musically gifted? Did your parents or siblings play any instruments coming up at all?
2: Yeah, so I I had uh, inherited a lot of instruments, like my great-grandparents and grandparents, they'd played bluegrass, um, and so I grew up always around music, but I'd inherited gosh, probably 25 different instruments from, like, banjos and mandolins, fiddles, all kinds of stuff when I was really young. And uh, my mom and grandparents kind of pushed me to, and to get into music or whatever, but they never, like, forced it. It was just something, like, I always loved. When I, I went to see a Hank Jr. concert and Leonard Skinner when I was probably in, I don't know, like, eighth grade. And I knew from that moment, I was like, this is, exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life.
3: We're both super fortunate um, uh, to be able to grow up in like the crooked road area, which is really famous for a lot of really, really good bluegrass musicians. One, one being my dad. So I got to, I got pretty much a firsthand view of watching all these great bluegrass players play when I was very, very young, going to festivals and doing all that type of thing. So that was kind of where I got my musical upbringing and appreciation for that type of music, other types of music, and obviously the dobro. So,
0: Which leads me directly into my next question. I was going to say you play a very unique instrument that is, I I think, a staple of what I will call a more classical era of country music. Uh, It's called the dobro. And for any listener out there who might not exactly know what that is, could you give the listeners a spark note version of, of what a dobro is kind of what sounded amidst, uh, and kind of the music that like, like its origins, I guess.
3: Right. So it's basically an instrument. If, if you've ever seen somebody play upside down, like almost people call it like a lap piano, they call it all sorts of things. Uh, it's got a, it's got a Chrome cover plate, uh, kind of where you would pick. Um, basically they made it back in the 1930s to compete with, electric guitars because acoustic guitars weren't loud enough. So they put a, a cone in there to make it louder. And that's where it started. And it, um, really people were using it in blues music. Then it kind of made its way into bluegrass and country music. And, um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the origin story. It's not an old instrument. Uh, it's only been around since 1930s, early 1940s.
0: So I guess when you two started making music together, oftentimes I think these things happen and you're just out having fun. Did you guys have like a conversation, you know, all right, we're going to start writing music and like, we're going to make a career out of this kind of when did that conversation happen?
2: I would say uh, at one point we were sitting, we had been a trio for a little while and um, decided to just kind of do the duo thing. And we were sitting in a Walmart parking lot one night and uh, just talking about like just playing you know, little breweries and stuff, and we were both kind of having a conversation. Like we had opened for a couple acts at the Harvester, it's a venue in Rocky Mount, and we realized that in that time, like, man, we could really do this if we if we just put our heads down and and start grinding. And that we had that long conversation in the truck at in the Walmart parking lot. And we were like, man, no matter what, let's just drop everything else and let's just book every single brewery around this area that we can possibly book. And let's just do it over and over and over and over and over. And that's what we did. And then it started like, uh, we we said we wanted to write our own songs. We didn't want to like just be a cover band, obviously. So we just started writing and writing and writing and writing and uh, doing all of that stuff at the same time. Eventually we started noticing that we were getting a bigger crowd and a bigger crowd. And then, you couldn't fit another person in these breweries and then they were running out of beer and then they were running out of cups. And it was just two of us sitting on stools, having a good time. And, uh, we realized then like, man, we can really do this. Like we can make a career out of this and and keep going. So that's, that's kind of the short version of it.
0: So you guys dropped play a Hank jr. Song. What year was that? When did, when did that song come out? That was June, 2018. 2018. Okay. So by the way, if you haven't listened to this song, go on Spotify. It's on there. It's an absolute game day morning first beer speaker knocker. Like that's the song you turn on you're in Blacksburg and you're cracking that first beer. That's the one. Uh, was it okay? So like that song goes, goes out on Spotify. You guys release it. Was it after that where like tour managers are hitting you guys up saying, Hey, you want to open for, insert artists here was, was it immediately after that song, or did you guys have to release some more music before you started getting those kind of, those kind of phone calls?
2: So it was, it was actually before we had released that, we had been kind of noticed playing these breweries. Some people had started to notice the crowds and stuff that, that we were building. And then we ended up entering a competition and opening for Luke Combs. But during that whole time frame, our manager had met us through that show. And uh, he he was thinking, man, I could really do something with these guys. So he took us to Nashville before we had really, I think we might've already had the songs written or we were getting ready to write them. It was It was kind of a blur, but it was all in that same time frame. But anyways, he took us to Nashville and we started playing a lot more shows from that point he started helping us with things and then uh once we released i think maybe right before we released those songs we ended up opening for marshall tucker band a couple nights and uh doug the lead singer and uh co-founder or i think might be the founding member he uh he loved that song we played it live that night and he loved that song and then uh he called his booking agent and we did a two-night run it was raleigh north carolina and charlotte And, uh, the second night he brought us on stage for, can't you see, um, let me sing it, let Ethan play it. And then he, uh, reached out to his booking agent and got us a deal with them. He told me, he's like, man, you got to check these guys out. They're really good. And, um, he has some notoriety. So they did. And then that's where all of that stuff came from. And then they started putting us on opening dates and we were getting offers to open for all these people, which was blowing our minds. (laughs) That's insane. That's crazy.
0: He brought you out for "Can't You See"? I'm yeah. sure that was. I'm sure that was a, a core memory. If oh you yeah, will. something you will never ever forget. Um, you know, being being on tour, you're you're on the road. You're opening for all these these different acts. What are some of the challenges you face being on the road? Uh, when you're first starting out, I've always heard these stories. Like you're in a packed Sprinter van. You got your sound equipment. You have all the instruments with you. What were those initial shows like?
2: So we, we definitely know the, um, the feelings of the packed van and the trailer and all that. So we, for us, when we first started doing those shows, I would say the hardest point, I mean, there have been a lot of hard points, but the very hardest, I would say, I was still working a full-time job mm-hmm. and we were like getting offers all over the country. And I I was, like, strategically trying to balance how much leave I had to take from work versus, like, all these offers coming in from Alabama and West Virginia and all over. And uh, I remember we were opening for Sawyer Brown one night in Montgomery, Alabama. I want to say it was, like, a Thursday night. Um, we left out of Roanoke, Virginia, drove all the way to Montgomery, Alabama, played the show, immediately left right when their set started drove all the way back overnight until the sun came up so that I could be back at work the next morning because I was out of leave. So I would say that was like some of the very hardest moments, but eventually we were able to leave the jobs and things. And then, um, God, there's been so many, but that's definitely one that sticks out.
3: For a while, we went out just as a duo. And I would say that was really challenging because we really didn't have anybody with us to help set up, help do merch, any of that. It was just me and Jake. So you know, we'd get there, do our sound check, go set the merch table up. It, if the venue didn't have anybody to help, it would be alone. We really didn't have anybody running monitors for us, anything like that. So we were kind of just out on our own on these national shows. And it, that was that was challenging.
0: You know, it's interesting you talk about that. I I used to work at a live concert venue in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia. And one one thing that is such a challenge is, is the merchandise element to any touring act. I mean, like the dealing with the sizes and and you know, taking the inventory, it's a nightmare. So the fact that you guys had to do that on top of doing your sound check, on top of unpacking your gear, I mean, that's a hustle. Um, so so kudos to you guys, man. That's that's awesome. But uh, you know, one thing that I have seen on your Instagram, one artist I've seen you guys open for a lot uh is Travis Tritt. What's Travis like? Uh, what kind of wisdom has he helped impart on the two of you as musicians? Are, are you guys around him a lot or is it kind of like, you know, he's on his tour bus, he stays doing his thing and you guys are, are, are over here.
2: I'd say it's a little bit of both with him. Uh, those guys have treated us so good. Uh, him and his tour manager and his band. We, we've kind of become buddies with all them at this point. Um and travis if if anything we've we've learned a lot from him especially like ha- how to put on a show i mean he's still gosh he's been doing it for 30 years at this point but he still goes out every night puts on a show puts on a great show puts gives it all his energy um till he's dripping sweat i mean he's he's kind of a, a good role model for that. Like, as far as you can do something for so long, but you still have to love it and you still have to give it your all. Uh, even if you don't ever have to do it again, because I mean, he'd be totally fine to never, never play or sing another note, but um, yeah, we've, they've, they've treated us really well. His wife is super sweet. His uh, daughter, Tyler Reese, his son, Tristan, we've done some shows with them. They're playing now too. Um, man, they've, they've just treated us really good. we, we love going out with them. We look forward to every time when our agent gets a run with them on the books, we're, we're super excited about it.
0: So when y'all are writing new music, you just had your new, uh, your new song heart attack drop July 1st. Where do you pull inspiration from? What's your, what's your process like?
2: Um, I would say for me, a lot of times the way we write is I'll, I'll kind of get the ideas going and start them and, and uh, I'll, I'll shoot a voice memo over to Ethan and Sean, our tour manager, and kind of say, what do you guys think about this? Or, or, you know, like get some feedback from them. And then I either we'll finish it together or if it's something they like, I'll try to sit down and finish it. But most of the inspiration I would say come from uh, just past life experiences or um, past relationships, new relationships, um, just different things we've encountered on the road or family family issues that that i've encountered or we've encountered in the past and um and then a lot of times i I will i will write what i want to hear in a song like if i'm like man i i'll listen to a song and think how much i love it or like man there should be a song about this or whatever i just always try to remember like if if i were the listener what would rock me or what would what would make me say holy shit that's that's good
0: well, I mean, it's interesting that like, like when I played play a Hank Jr. So I grew up on Hank Sr. and Hank Jr. Like my granddad used to play eight track tapes in the truck, some of my favorite memories. And so I hear that and I'm like, this song speaks to me because, right. you know, I, I came up on that. And I, I'm sure there's so many other people like that. Um, my last question before we get into the rapid fire, gentlemen, is what is the from both of y'all's perspective? I'm very curious. What's the five-year vision for Crawford and Power? Where do you guys see yourself 1,825 days from now?
3: I'll let you go first. Um, I would say in that time, hopefully we are – well, I'm not going to say hopefully. We will be selling, selling tickets, selling hard tickets, have fans, you know, coming to shows all, all around the East Coast. Um, and hopefully we have a whole lot more music out by then
2: um i would i would agree with that i would say in five years i i think that we will be instead of doing so many opening dates all across the country for everybody i think we'll be in a headliner role at that point uh, obviously with a lot more music out and uh i think we're going to achieve many more milestones when it comes to streaming and um things as far as that. And I think, I think every day we get better. And I think every, every song we release is better than the last. So I think in five years, if that pattern continues, we'll have some great stuff.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think consistency is key. The more you do something, it's like 10,000 hours. You just get better and better and better. Uh, so I can't wait. I can't wait to see what y'all do, but gentlemen, what we're going to do now is moving into rapid fire. Basically, these are just quick questions. The first thing that comes to your mind uh, the first one is for both of y'all favorite country artists working today?
3: Oh, God. Cody Johnson. Damn, oh, you took it from me. <laughs> He's uh, real. Yeah, he is. He's uh, real. I'll go. Oh, my gosh, there's so many. John Party. John Party. Great
0: choice. Now we will we'll do favorite country artists of all time. Does not have to be working today. Hank Jr. Travis Tripp. <laughs> All right. Wings with ranch or blue cheese? There's a right ranch, answer. Ranch. <laughs> let's go. Hell yeah. No, that's not even a question. It's not even a question. Uh, let's see. That's what I'm saying. Apparently, to some people, it is a question, though. Uh, best wings in Blacksburg. I know y'all have spent a lot of time there.
2: Oh, God. Oof.
0: Oh, Sharkies. 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 Okay. I would say Sharkies, too. Good choice.
2: What's what's the other place though that has like the little naked uh, chicken things? Oh, um, PKs? PKs. PKs. I like yeah, PKs, they're good too. too. Yeah, yeah,
0: they're great. It's it's often like when you ask anyone, it's between Sharkies and PKs. That's always like the which one is better. I uh, eat PKs wings more. Yeah, I do like Sharkies wings. Yeah. Do you guys plan to play any shows at Virginia Tech in the near future? If so, when?
2: Well, currently, I think we're booked for an event there. I don't know if it's private or do you remember what it's Some sort for? of block party. Some sort of block party that we're, that we're playing, but I think it's put on by some group. I'm not Except sure. The exactly. campus.
3: I'll get some information on that for you. Yeah. But, all right. Uh,
2: but we have been in talks about maybe at some point doing a uh, pregame show or something and trying to set it up on the street and having like a a big – big deal for that. Oh, you guys got to do that. <laughs> yeah, <Bill. laughs>
0: you guys got to do that. That'd be awesome. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember like when Brad Paisley came to town Oh yeah, at all yeah. before the Ohio state game, the most impromptu thing of all time, but you saw how yeah. many people showed up to that. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, people, people would go crazy over that. Uh, your advice from, from both of y'all, your advice to anyone trying to do the music hustle,
3: I would say the biggest thing would be to write your own stuff. Focus on that over, over just going out and doing a bunch of cover gigs.
2: Yep. I would say, uh, writing your own stuff, but also persistence and, uh, the only way to fail is to give up. Uh, there's enough people, I'm going to steal this one from Isabel. There's enough people in the world that, there is going to be a big enough amount of people that like what you're doing, that you can have a great career at it. Uh, So just never giving up and remembering that there's billions of people in this world, that you have a niche and you, there's no way to fail because there's enough people that will like what you're doing. I love that. Never really heard that before, but I do. I I love that. Your favorite show
0: you've played. Hmm. I would
2: say
3: you're gonna steal mine, but go ahead probably
2: uh I opening it up for Willie nelson was was up there that was that was one of those surreal moments um I don't know that it was the best show we played it was a good show but it was it was just the fact that we were opening for Willie that was awesome
3: I've got one I thought about the other day House of Blues Myrtle Beach with Marshall Tucker band that was a cool <laughs> venue. growing up as a kid I always yeah. wanted to do a house of blues so I
0: in Myrtle Beach, no less. yeah I mean, of, of, of all places, the house of Blues is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That's fantastic. Uh, i'll I'll add one more to this. I mean, I don't even have this one written down. Who's an artist that you've met that that just kind of has like that wow factor? like that that person is cool. Like I really appreciated that interaction.
2: Hmm. This is these are good questions.
3: Uh, for me, it would probably be Cody Johnson. Yeah. Just because of the amount of time he spent with us, and um, just he he stuck his hand out and said he wanted to help us out, you know, um, hooking us up with some people in Nashville, and he really made some stuff like that happen.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two. Um, I'll be quick, but one of them was obviously Marshall Tucker Band, Doug Gray. uh, He didn't have to reach out and help us the way he did. I mean, he he pretty much helped start our career nationally. Uh, he kind of helped take us from just playing breweries and bars and a regional thing to, to getting us a deal nationally. Uh, so Marshall Tucker band one, that, that was awesome. And two, uh, three dog night, we randomly opened for them one night at Thomas Wolf auditorium in Asheville, North Carolina. And I mean, they're, those guys have been around forever. They've got like, they, they would be our grandparents music, you know? Um, but I remember we were backstage and they came in, they flew in, I think, to the show and got on their bus there. And we were, it was just a duo show, just us two. And we were backstage and it was sleeting. It was nasty weather. And we got to talk to them for a little bit. And I told the guy, they were, they were like, man, our first hit took us from a van to a bus. And then from there, you know, he was just explaining how their career went. And I said, well, man, I, I really hope that we can, we can make that happen someday and that we can get to a level like that. And he stopped me and he was like, man, he said, uh, he said, you gotta, you gotta realize that you're here, you're doing it. You're already in the business. You're, you're in, look at what you're doing right now. You're here. So stop, stop looking forward and wishing ahead. He was like, you've got everything you want right now. You're here, you're in the business. And I thought that was some pretty cool advice. Um, you know, it's, it's cool Cool when guys like that who've been doing it for 40 or 50 years and had all kinds of massive success can stop and give us wisdom like that. Tour bus coming soon, y'all. Heck yeah. yeah.
0: Love that, man. We're,
2: we're looking forward to that. That'd day. be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, that'd be crazy, man. Uh, guys, the last part of this podcast is called Letters from the Lunch Pail. This is uh, this is listener-submitted questions. Uh, the the first one comes actually from my older brother, who was also a, also a musician as well, kind of in the same genre as you guys. He says, how do you guys find the balance between adapting to this new era of country music, but also staying true to yourself and the music that you write?
2: I would say that uh, that's a great question. I would say that for us, it's never been an issue uh, because I, I don't have a, a big butt that I could shake on stage. And I also don't have any type of pop in my brain that I could write. Um, so it's, it's been pretty straightforward for us. We, we kind of do what we can do and luckily it's coming back around and people like it
3: with, with his voice and the dobro. I don't, I don't think there's any way for us to do modern pop country.
0: (laughs) No, uh, no snap tracks in the background. You
3: know, I don't see those in the future.
0: (laughs) Don't see those in the future. Well, that's good. Stay true to yourself, man. Don't sell out. A lot of artists have done that. Uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to cast aspersions and and put anyone on blast, but you've seen a lot of these guys who came up not doing that, who are doing that now. Uh, but I guess that's, what's popping. So, uh, the last letter from the lunch bell is actually from yours truly. I think I saw on y'all's Instagram that you guys met Kevin Costner uh, as a, as a guy who lives out here in, in Los Angeles, I mean, he's from what I can tell, he's a pretty cool guy. What was meeting Kevin
2: Costner like? Uh, that, that was awesome. So he actually has a band and he tours. And, uh, once this Yellowstone thing blew up, that tour's like selling out all over the country. And, uh, we were in St. Augustine, Florida, and we were asked to open up that show. So we opened up for him and then, uh, One of the coolest. This is another cool story We our dressing rooms were right beside each other. And like we could hear him taking phone calls and stuff from his agents or whatever about the show the whole time. And um, so we we were walking back. We had just finished our set and we got a standing ovation at this beautiful amphitheater in in St. Augustine. It was awesome. And I'm walking off stage. We're like dripping sweat. And I go to get in our dressing room and Costner was coming out of his. I mean, they were right beside each other, like a foot apart he was coming out of his dressing room and I was going to mine and I never want to say anything to anybody like that or bother him but you know so I just kind of mind my own business and he walks past me and then he turns around and he slaps me on the shoulder pretty hard And he goes great set kid and then he goes on and does his show and then after the show we meet him super nice guy um he that was awesome he was he was unbelievably nice and he has Uh, you know, you asked a question earlier. This is a good one. He's one of those people that is so famous that it's almost like you can feel him in the room before you even see him because everybody around you is like blushing and, and fluttering. It's, it's ridiculous. Like you just knew the guy was there. If you've ever looked at somebody and thought they've got to smell good, it would be Kevin Costner.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, like I, I'll know. I I get. When was that? When was that show? Last October. Last October. Okay, so I distinctly remember I was at my grandparents' house and I was watching the Field of Dreams baseball game. It was the White Sox and the Yankees, and Kevin Costner did that whole thing where he like recreated the scene where he walks out onto the field. And then I, a couple months later, I see that on your y'all's Instagram, and I'm like, that is crazy. Like they're okay. with they're with him right now and you know field of dreams actor he's been in so many other movies and and what i read about him is that initially he wanted to be a musician that's right. like what he wanted to do and then acting just kind of fell into his lap i guess but uh that's great i'm so glad that he was a nice guy because i feel like when you are that famous it's probably real real easy to not be yeah um and before we let you leave before we let you leave how can i forget Sharky shout-outs. This is y'all's time. How can we follow you on social media? Uh, You know, shout-out anyone you want to shout-out. This is y'all's time.
3: You can follow us at Crawford and Power. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that good stuff.
2: Uh, I think Ethan has an OnlyFans, and that is Ethan (laughs) Power. Um, Dobro Slayer69. Nice. Great. I would <laughs> shout out. Our, yeah. I appreciate I would, that. You're welcome. I would shout out our tour manager Sean Greer. Uh, he's here with us now. He goes everywhere with us. He does literally all of the hard work that goes into touring and and playing shows. He takes care of every last bit of it to where all we have to do is sing the songs and play them. So uh, definitely shout him out. Well,
0: if nothing else, gentlemen, we'll let you get out of here. Go Hokies, as always. I appreciate you guys. We'll chat soon. It's time to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you
3: dance like you want to in my head. you